Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. first lesson comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning in verse 13. Listen now to the Word of God. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. It too is from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll pick up at the end of the 27th chapter and into the 28th to the end of the book where Jesus tells His disciples, you are My hands, you are My feet, go out into the world, you are My mouthpiece. Take My message, take Me to the world. But we pick up first right after Jesus' crucifixion where we have just read that Jesus has been crucified. He has been taken down from the cross on that Friday afternoon just before sunset, just before the beginning of the Sabbath day, and they quickly wrap His body in a cloth, and Joseph of Arimathea takes possession of Jesus' body by the uh, authority, permission of Pilate. And Joseph puts Jesus' body in his own tomb, and they rolled a big stone across the opening of the tomb, and they depart. And we pick up with verse 62, listen to God's Word. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise again. Therefore, order the sepulcher to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail! Or as one translator has said, Ta-da! And they came and, looked, and took hold of His feet and worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even to the close of the age. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please pray with me, please. O oh Lord, may these fumbling and feeble words of my mouth be flavored, organized, empowered by You, and understood by us by the gift and the presence of Your Holy Spirit. So by Your Holy Spirit, come now, open our minds. Plant Your truth and Your power in our hearts that we might have peace and courage and be Your faithful people in the world today. For your glory, for others' good, and for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. This morning I want to begin by rereading verse 17 of chapter 28 of Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you catch it? Verse 17 reads, And when they, the eleven disciples, and there were probably others, saw Him that is Jesus Christ, risen, they worshipped Him as their risen Lord. And then it says this, but some doubted. I love that verse. I need that little phrase at the end of that verse. Some of you may need it as well. Because that verse, what it does is, it welcomes our reality wherever we may be with all of this Easter business and resurrection from the dead and this Christian faith stuff. It, it, it takes us where we are in our reality and it allows us to move into the reality of the sovereign God. It says, wherever you are right now, you can be there. The Bible is true. The Bible tells us that in the wake of the resurrection that we celebrate today, and every day for that matter as Christians, on this Easter, Scripture tells us that some believed, saw Jesus. Some worshipped Jesus. Some were fired up and ready to take on the world and follow Jesus. 
Some were willing, but maybe not 100%. They may have been a little scared. They may have been a little confused. They may have still been trying to figure it out. Some were still asking questions. Now, how did you do this, Jesus? And what does this mean, Jesus? And aren't you going to give us a better plan than just go into all the world and baptize and preach and teach? Aren't you going to give us some steps, some one, two, three, some A, B, C? How many of you would have liked that? You're called an ISTJ on the Myers-Briggs scale. And that's a good thing. We need them. <laughs> and the Bible also says that some doubted. That may be some of us today. We may not really be sure about this Christian faith, this following Jesus, this resurrection from the dead. That really doesn't happen in our experience too often, does it? People who die usually stay dead. But what the text, what the faith gives us this morning is a little room for all of us to be here in the different places that we may find ourselves and where God finds us. And to know that God is not finished with any one of us yet. Now to get an amen. This is a place where we can be honest. And to be honest, this has not been the easiest Lenten season for me. This has not been the easiest ramp up to Easter that I've ever experienced. How about you? We know that there has been sickness that has plagued friends and loved ones of this church and our circle of loved ones. There has been death, and we are grieving losses in the life of our church. There is an important vote up on the horizon. And the discernment process that we are going through has brought divisions and disagreements among us. And that has been difficult. In a larger circle, in these days and times, we see on a larger scale church and state wrangling and, 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 and boiling over in our own country. There have been horrific plane crashes. Not by mechanical failure, but, but by the hand of one of the pilots who took not only his own life, but 150 innocent people with him. Just this past week, there were 148 students, Christians in Garissa, Kenya, who were shot in cold blood in a thoughtless act of violence. We have a, a pastor and a ministry, a school, that we support in Kenya, Bernard Ondiake. And I, I talked to Pastor Ondiake yesterday on the phone, and he told me that they are grieving. The entire country is in deep grief and trying to celebrate Easter. Senseless tragedy, and even 14 or 15 of those who were killed at that university were from that same community. I told Pastor Ondiake we would be praying for them. And we have and we will. There are ongoing wars around the world in Syria and Iraq. There are escalating tensions in Israel. There are nuclear talks that, that cause us concern about the state of 
nuclear armament in the world and into whose hands those technologies would fall and be used. And all of this, plus Kentucky's opportunity to be the first undefeated team to win the NCAA since 1976, had its hopes dashed and brought to a screeching halt last night. And many back brackets were busted. And I'm glad to see you smiling about that. But it's good that we can acknowledge all of that, not to dwell on it, but to be honest about the fact that we still live in a fallen world where there are tears, there is pain, there is death, there is division, and there are doubts. And we live in a world that still has dark places where bad things happen and evil still seems sometimes to get the upper hand. But yes, Jesus Christ, we can claim today that His kingdom has come. It is already here, but we know it has not fully manifested itself in the world. The kingdom has come, and His kingdom is coming, and that day is promised when He will wipe every tear from our eyes, when there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, neither will there be crying anymore. All things will be made new, there will be no darkness in that day, they will need no light, we read, for the Lamb will be their light. And there will be no night there. The truth is, is that Easter really begins in the dark. How many of you attended the Tenebrae service on Thursday night or a Good Friday service? Either at Trinity or the preach-off at 4th Street? But if you were here on Thursday night for the Maundy Thursday Tenebrae service, you know that it was real dark in this sanctuary. And that's when Easter begins, in the dark. On that Thursday night, in the dark, where no light shone into this sanctuary except filtering through these stained glass windows, we sang, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed Him to the tree? Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb, oh, 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 it makes me tremble. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. And it should. And I don't bring up the state of the world and the darkness that around us or the disposition of our doubts or the reality of the world's pain or the darkness of death except to say that we must begin Easter in those places. Because if we jump all the way from the Hosannas on Palm Sunday to the Hallelujahs of Easter with all of the joy and the light and the chocolate and the sausage biscuits and the new outfits, if we jump from Palm Sunday to Easter, we have robbed ourselves. We have missed the proverbial boat in short, we are not being honest. We are fooling ourselves. We're whistling in the dark. And Jesus wants us to acknowledge the dark, but to step into His light. And what I'm saying is that if you want to know resurrection, you have to also know crucifixion. If you want to know about life, you have to acknowledge death. If you want to know good, you must also know evil. If you want to know His way, you have to acknowledge that too often we go my way. 
If you want to know what it means to be in the world, you have to confess that you have been of the world. If you want to be more than just a nice person and embrace what it means to be a new creature transformed into the child, the son, the daughter of the living God, you have to acknowledge that you have shortchanged your faith. And the Christian faith then brings us to the reality of life and its contrasts. And where it brings us in that contrast today is either Jesus Christ was raised on the third day or He was not. Jesus was making people choose all the time. Jesus was saying, come follow Me or not. If you want to find your life, lose it. To the rich young ruler, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then follow Me. Or as Paul said, it is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. But Christ lives in me. There's a choice of dying to self so that we can live to God in Christ Jesus. And that's hard for us because so many times we want to keep all of our options open. But it's been the witness of Scripture, even from the Hebrew Scripture, that choices must be made. As Jeremiah stood preparing to lead God's people, the Israelites, from the wilderness into the promised land, Joshua says to them, choose, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Christianity draws contrasts and it asks us to make choices. Did you by any chance happen to read the editorial that was in yesterday's paper? There was an editorial in the paper that was, um, it had a title about uh, not, draw, not judging but drawing distinction. It was written by a Presbyterian pastor. Did you happen to see it? The piece that he wrote was drawing clarity about what it means to live a life in Jesus Christ. I want to quote to you part of what he wrote. Once someone faces the claim of Jesus of Nazareth, the compelling evidence that He rose from the dead on the third day following His crucifixion, and as a result, begins to believe in Him, the Bible becomes ultimate authority. Is it God's Word or is it not? And when we begin to follow Him, it means we are not allowed to reserve to ourselves any part of our lives as our own. Our decisions about time, about money, our hopes, our plans, our sexuality, all belong to the one who died and rose again on our behalf. And what he's saying is what Scripture tells us, that we are His, that when we give our lives to Jesus, it's not about us anymore. It's about Him. It's about our freedom in Him experiencing joy in Him and peace that passes understanding in Him as we follow His way. And then the writer quoted C.S. Lewis, I do not think that all who choose the wrong roads perish, but their rescue consists in being put back on the road. It is still either or. Are you on the way? Are you not on the way? 
to choice. C.S. Lewis also in another place in Mere Christianity writes this, that Jesus is ultimately set it up that he is known as a lunatic who is a crazy man, a liar who is not telling the truth, or he was Lord. And C.S. Lewis says, we are not left any latitude in that. And God did not intend for us to have any latitude. Is Jesus Christ lunatic? Is he liar? Or is he our Lord? Christian faith is either, either or. There is no in-between. Now that's not to say that we cannot study and appreciate and dissect and debate the finer points and deeper understandings of Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. Because we're Presbyterians after all. We appreciate the life of the mind and education. And I love the saying that says, which is good for Presbyterians, it says, Christ did not die Christ died to take away your sins, not your mind. So hear me well. But if we want to find our life, Jesus says you must lose it. If you want to come after me, you must take up a cross and follow me. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus draws contrasts all the time. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that we have been studying the entire season of Lent leading up to Easter, Jesus has described the blessed life, the way that He is showing. He is, he is describing this to His disciples and all who would hear Him on that mountainside. Distinguishing a difference between what it means to follow Jesus and be of the world and follow another way. And Jesus in this teaching turns everything upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn, the gentle, who hunger and thirst who are pure in heart, the peacemakers. All of these things that Jesus teaches here are contrary to the way that we believe that you are successful and get by and get on in the world. But Jesus says, no, even blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you because you're in good company. They did it to the prophets before you. And Jesus is saying, you are different. And immediately after the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, which we read earlier. Then He says, you are salt. You're different. You are light. You are different. And Jesus chooses these two things very particularly where there is no gray because salt is salt or it is not. Light is light or it is not. No matter how salty you may be, you're either salt or you're not. No matter how bright your light may shine, you are either light or you are not. And Jesus calls His followers to be salt and light. And this is something that is coming from outside of ourselves that we cannot generate on our own. This comes to us as a gift, and like any gift, we can refuse it or not. And so Jesus says, this is who you are. You are salt, you are light. Not who you will be, who you want to be, who you ought to be, who you could be, who you're trying to be. No, you are salt and you are light. And the question is, will we live in that manner? Eugene Peterson translates the verses this way. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings about God's flavors in this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. And then he goes on to say this. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. 
God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city set up on a hill. I am making you light bearers. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a lampstand. And now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a, lamp, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You prompt people to open up to God, their generous Father who is in heaven. And Jesus makes the point clear. The salt is useless if it is depleted or, or diluted. The commentator Douglas Hare says it this way, the point is unmistakable. Any church, or I would add any Christian, that adopts itself so com adapts itself so completely to the secular world around it that its distinct calling is forgotten has rendered itself useless. When we're deluded by the world, we are useless. Jesus says you are other than the world. And the same is true with the church that is called to be light. To be light in the dark places of the world. To be the hands and the feet in service to those in need. Hare goes on to explain the light of the church in this way. It is only as the church genuinely proclaims Christ as Lord that is, that is not mouthing theological platitudes, but manifesting His life in its life that the church can truly be the light of the world. For Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, I am Your salt. I am Your light. By Your resurrection, now make me Your salt and Your light in the world by Your Holy Spirit working through me. The risen Christ says to us, not only You are salt and You are light, but You are my disciples. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I'm giving it to You. My brothers, my sisters, I'm giving my authority to you. Go and season the world with justice, with healing, with truth. Go and shine light into the dark places. Go expose falsehood. Go give hope to the despairing and life. Let it shine in dead places. You are my sons and my daughters. Go and make disciples of the world by the life that you live the way that you live it, and speaking and acting on my behalf. Yes, go into the world. It's a hard world. It's a difficult world. But it's God's world. And His kingdom has come and His kingdom is coming even as He uses us. For Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Anybody have any trouble? Jesus says, have no fear. I've overcome the world. And He has. And that is what we celebrate today. We celebrate today that His kingdom has come and it is coming. And yes, we await that day when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. When He will reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Now, to make this sermon completely ecumenical, 
I want to end with these words from Pope John Paul II who said, do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are Easter people. And hallelujah is our song. Christ is risen. Hallelujah.